Welcome back to another show of Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder, where we are bringing science into focus for the next hour here on your Friday afternoon. I'm Kate. I'm studying my PhD in neuroscience uh, here at the university, and I'm joined as always by co-host Kai. How's it going, Kai? Yeah, pretty good, Kate. So I'm studying a PhD in physics and we're also joined mm. by someone else today, Kate. We are joined by a super special guest who's also a neuroscientist. I feel like we've been taking over the show lately, me and my neuro crew, <laughs> and I make no apologies for it. Uh, but we're joined by Kevin. How's it going, Kevin? Hey there. Yeah, I'm going well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me along to this. It's nice to be here. Yeah, we're super excited to hear your contributions to, well, to the show as a whole, but also um, we'll hear a little bit about some of your research later, um, and I'm very excited for that. But before we launch into that, in fact, before we launch into any science at all, I want to just ask you guys, you know, like, what was the highlight of your day? Like, give, give, give me a high point. What was the best thing that happened to you today? Oh, I mean... It's it's kind of tough at this this current situation. I know, but I reckon... but the bar's pretty low at this stage, <laughs> right? Like it should be easy. Um, hard of my day, I had leftover fried rice for lunch, mm-hmm. and that was pretty delicious. So, like, <laughs> and we're low at that bar, point easily where that's the you know what, you know what, that's take your wins where you can get them right now. Honestly, that's mm-hmm. yeah. How about you? Guys? I mean, aside from this radio show, of course. Oh but... yeah, well. That's obviously yeah. all our secret highlights, <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah. How about you, Kevin? Um, I think maybe for me, a highlight for my day, um, I guess with this is related to my lab work. So mm-hmm. uh, I work with uh, cells and I did a pretty difficult procedure on them yesterday. Uh, and I was very happy to find that they were all alive and still being maintained today. Yay! Oh, that is exciting. I can feel the excitement of that. Um, that's a pretty good highlight. That's a pretty good highlight. Um, yeah. But, you what know, you, Kate? I just, just to top it all, just to top you both, because, um, well, I got, I, I got my first Pfizer jab today. I am halfway Ooh, nice. to being, nice. you know, COVID vaccinated, which is... If nothing else has given me a glimmer of hope that there is another side of this madness, you know, amongst mm-hmm. all this lockdown and depressingness, uh, there is there is hope for the future, and I'm halfway towards it. So that's exciting. That was my highlight, and I very know, exciting. Yeah, consider this your radio silence public service announcement that if you are eligible for the vaccine, please go get it. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, but anyway. Let's talk about some science. Let's start, as always, with some science news, some recent stuff that's been published. Kai, start us off. What have you got? Okay, so some scientists have developed a way of controlling the behaviour of mice directly inside their brains. Okay, well, I mean... Like... There were a few ways that science... See, now you've picked yeah, a yeah, show yeah. of neuroscientists to bring I know, up I know, topic. I'm up against a tough uh, crowd. <laughs> No, but, but okay. <laughs> so they're they're doing this using light, and they're using lights that they've tiny LED mm-hmm. transmitters that they've put inside the, the yep. mouse brains, yep. and they can turn them on and off and control the mouse behavior. Yeah, optogenetics, right? 
Yeah, but the, the cool thing, thing is ever. that they've done here is they're actually so so this this device that they're implanted in the brains. Mm-hmm. The cool thing is, and the new thing is that it's not attached to anything, and it's it's really small. Right. Oh, so previously, like it's, it's like a wireless optogenetic. It's, it's a wireless stuff. device oh, nice. that's implanted in the brain. Okay, no, that that is game changing because there we go. You know, I was waiting. For- <laughs> uh, like, well, because you know, I've done experiments. I've talked about other methods on the show before as well of kind of you know manipulating behavior with within the brain. But they're always you always have these long cables coming out, and they can make some behaviors challenging. Like having a wireless, like that's just. Yeah, that's so like very the, that's exactly right, Kate. Um, having big long wires attached to the mice makes it really hard for them to to like move around and behave like they normally would, which is one of the the new advantages that they've actually found with this wireless device. Mm-hmm. That's it's really small, a little like most of it sits outside the mouse, but it, it's small enough that it's like attaches to the back of their head or mm-hmm. like their back, and it's it's really quite small, and. They can now test like social behaviors of the mice and they were able uh, to... Yes, because they won't get tangled. They're not getting tangled <laughs> and they could put them in their little cages and the, the social behavior that they were able to switch on and off using this device was they could make the mice become more social. Oh, wow, yeah. Oh, nice. So they would have the mice like running around doing their own thing and then they switch it on and the, the specific neurons that they were targeting like started to fire when they yeah. switched on this device, yeah. which meant that the the mice, you know, were then encouraged to like become more social and they did like more behaviors like grooming each other and, you know, were just being friends rather than chilling out on their own. And Is this something we can implant in humans' brains to make them more social? <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sounds like this you know? could be used to give someone a bit of confidence boost in like a social setting. See, I was thinking just, like, even bigger scale. Like, we can end all wars, any conflict ever. We just need to implant some, like, wireless optogenetics into the brains of all the world leaders, and they'll just want to groom each other instead. I see nothing wrong with this plan. I mean, maybe there's also scope for misuse. Like, you could promote preference for killing people instead. This is... And and make an army of evil super soldiers to, like, kill all the, the world. I don't know. You know what? But- That's a very valid point, and I'm now scared at the idea of this implication uh, in humans. But it's fine. It's it's still even just from like a basic science, like not even thinking about dragging humans from a basic science sort of behavioral neuroscience perspective. Like that's that's potentially really cool in terms of like the number of doors it opens of like home cage behaviors that you can like measure that before you couldn't really do, and yeah. Yeah, and like it's as you're, you're right, it's sort of just opening doors, and they want to do more testing on mice, but also voles, which is oh, a yeah. different animal that are, is much more social than mice, mm. and they want to see, you know, what sort of behaviors they can they can find there. But mm. yeah, definitely mm. very mm. cool. Kate, Super what cool. news have you got? Well, mine's also from the world of neuroscience today, so surprise, you know, surprise. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to apologize for it. It is objectively the superior field of science and i think if we took a vote of the three people the show today <laughs> definitely not skewed or biased or bad science at all you would find no, uh, no. <laughs> mm. um but this is this is really interesting this is a really cool really cool paper that came out recently um that recently was published in nature communications and they found this really cool thing where essentially 
It's to do with fear memory acquisition. So you can train mice to acquire fear memory. And you do this by you you put them in a little in a little home box operant, you know, um, conditioning box, and you play them a tone, like a noise, and you give them a little foot shock. And as they with training, they learn to associate that tone with the foot shock. Then what you can do is you can test them and test how well they've remembered this sort of like fear memory, this fear association, because you put them in that box, um, you don't give them the foot shock, you just play the tone and you can see how much they freeze. And we know that if rats and uh, mice, sorry, have increased sort of freezing behavior that they're more scared. So if they start freezing to just the tone, we know that they have remembered that association and they've acquired mm-hmm. that sort of like fear memory. Um, and so this is the thing that, you know, we've done a lot of research on and is, is really interesting. But the problem is most of the research in this field, and in fact, in all of neuroscience, this is a big problem, is that most of this research is in males only, like only male animals. Um, mm. And so this paper found something really interesting. So what they did is they, they got a drug. It uh, doesn't matter what the drug is. It's for those of you that are particularly dying to know, it's a neurokinin-3 receptor antagonist. Um, ah, yes, that one. <laughs> yeah. But essentially, you know, a type of neuropeptide signaling pathway in the brain, um, this drug inhibits that. And we've known for a while that if you give this sort of drug um, to a male mouse, it increases the... It increases its fear response, essentially. Like, it gets more scared and freezes more Mm. in response Mm. to the sound. I found this really interesting thing. They gave the exact same drug to female mice, and it did the opposite. did the opposite. They they, they got... um, Sorry, I think I've said that the wrong way around. The males males increased their memory, which means they got more scared. They showed... Yeah. So when the tone played they showed more freezing because they were more Mm -hmm. scared, right? And this was kind of a known effect. But yeah, the females, same drug, same time, same fear acquisition um, levels, but then you tested it later and they, it's like they hadn't been able to form that memory because they just weren't scared of the tone. They were like, whatever, we don't care. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it's just had this like significant effect in the complete opposite direction. And then they did some really cool stuff where they took some like blood serum samples and looked at like circulating sex hormones like estradiol and testosterone. And they found that those were regulated in opposite directions. So like in females, the estradiol increased in males, the testosterone decreased. Um, And then they, they looked at other, you know, signaling pathways and once again found that it was all just dysregulated, but in opposite directions in males and females. Um, so wow. that just, yeah, it, that's really, really, it's very I interesting. Guess, yeah. I was going to say exciting is the wrong word, but like interesting because it really highlights like fascinating. That we, we need to be doing more of this like sex difference research and using both sexes when we're doing preclinical animal studies, because yeah, it's not always applicable. What you find in males doesn't generalize let al- across the whole species, let alone generalize to then to humans. You know, if we want to be making yeah. these claims, we need to first of all, you know, make sure we're dealing with the with within species um, application. But yeah. yeah, I can definitely agree with that uh, from the, the kind of neuroscience research I've done myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've definitely just important doing to consider both sex both sexes researchers and mm-hmm. like researchers. Yeah, I've been some sex difference research and 
yeah, it's it's wild. It's wild. So I, I'm glad that it's happening. I'm glad that we're moving forward and these sorts of papers are coming out where we're like going, see, see, this is why, you know, females are important too. <laughs> um, anyway, that is it for news today. And we're about to launch into a really cool show all about stem cells, which, you know, we'll get to in a second. But first, we have a very fitting song called Differentiate by JK47. Welcome back to Radio Silence, where we are bringing science into focus here on Radio Fodder. You just heard Differentiation by JK47. Today we're talking about stem cells. Now, Kate, you're going to start us off yeah, explaining a bit about stem cells. I am. Because I figured, you know, like there's some really, really cool research going on in the field of stem cells. You've probably, if you've listened to the news, heard about stem cell therapies for all sorts of different things. Um, and we'll like, we'll focus on a couple of those in a little bit, but like first and foremost, I don't know. I feel like your average Joe is probably not hundred percent sure what a stem cell actually is. Like, you know, I thought we probably need to start right at the beginning and be like, what is a stem cell? Like what makes it different to other cells? Where do they come from? How do they, you know, how do we define them? Are there different types? Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> so stem cells they're essentially undifferentiated cells, right? They're cells that exist within the body. Like, your body's made of cells. We know that. Let's start there, right? Most of those cells have a job. Muscle cells contract. Neurons send messages in the brain. Skin cells protect you from the outside world. Like, they've got these specific functions. But stem cells do not have any, like, specific function. They're, the possibilities are... I was going to say endless, but not for all of them, and I'll, I'll get mm-hmm. to that. Um, but essentially, they have the potential to become another cell in the body. Um, and the body uses stem cells to essentially replace worn-out like, cells when they die. Because, like, that's our body is constantly, like, you know, the sack of cells that you are now is not the same sack of cells you were when you were born. Um, like, the lining of your intestine completely replaces itself every four days. So there's like a layer of stem cells that kind of, you know, the top layer wears out and the layer underneath comes in and replaces it. And, you know, it, yeah. So stem cells are kind of that like budding reserve of cells that can differentiate into whatever you need them to be within the body. But to be a stem cell, you essentially need to possess two main properties. Number one, you need to be able to self-renew, which means when you split, because as you know, when a cell multiplies, it splits in half and becomes two cells. To be a stem cell, you need to be able to have at least one of those cells that you divide into also be a stem cell. So you've kind of got this self-renewing resource of, you know, one of the halves that splits off can go off and become a muscle cell or whatever you need it to do, but there needs to be at least one stem cell each time so that it keeps on keeping on. Uh, Number two, it needs to be able to differentiate when the time comes. Like it can't just be a useless sack of cell that sits there. It needs to be able to actually answer the call and go fulfill its duty when the time comes. And that, that is a essentially, you know, what stem cells are. Because, like, yeah, all of the cells in your body carry more or less the same DNA, right? The same genes. But the way that they're expressed is different. So, like, some cells are going to have some genes turned on, some cells are going to have other genes turned on. So, like, 
you get the same, but you get different. So like a red blood cell is going to express different DNA to like a skin cell, which means like a red blood cell is never going to become a skin cell. And a skin cell is never going to yep. become a red blood cell. But stem cells, yeah, ha, the possibilities. So this is where I get to talk about my my little analogy because like, I, you know, anyone who listens to the show knows that I love a good analogy. <laughs> I'm excited so, for this. We have some different types of stem cells. Not all stem cells are created equal. So first of all, we've got our totipotent stem cells, which is your zygote. So essentially a zygote is you get your egg fertilized by your sperm. It's your body's first cell. It is the zygote. And it is what we call totipotent because it can be totally, literally anything. It can be... It can, like, differentiate to become any cell in the body, any cell in the umbilical cord, any cell in the placenta. So this is, like, okay, if you're a totipotent stem cell, this is you, the day that you were born, life brimming full of possibilities, but, of course, assuming that you were born into incredible privilege and wealth. um, Because, you know, (laughs) if you're born a little bit in some less, less privileged circumstances... There are maybe there are maybe going to be some jobs that are out of reach to you. Nope, not for the totipotent, not for the totipotent stem cell. The totipotent <laughs> stem cell is the you know the one percent that can literally be you know anything it wants to be throughout life. So then we move on to our pluripotent stem cell. So after the zygote has divided a few more times, it becomes an early stage embryo called a blastocyte. So. These are what are we call what we call embryonic stem cells, and they're pluripotent, which means they can be any sem- like they can become any cell in the body, but not the umbilical cord and not the placenta, and that's what differentiates it from the totipotent. Mm. So this is you know you've you've still only just been born. There's a lot of possibilities open to you, but you know there are some jobs that you just will never have. Like you're never going to be Queen of England, and that's okay. Your life can still be very exciting <laughs> and very fact. fulfilling. <laughs> You know, you can do so many wonderful, amazing things. You don't need to be the Queen of England, but it's just a fact that you're just never going to become the Queen of England because you're only pluripotent. I'm sorry. Um, But there's still a range of possibilities and it's not all bad. Um, So then we move on from our, you know, embryonic stem cells or pluripotent stem cells to your adult stem cells. So there are like small groups of these cells found in various organs, like your skin, your blood, your muscle tissue, your brain. Um, And these are called multipotent because they can only become a few of the different sort of cell types related to the organ where they are found. So like, for example, blood cells, right? They're called hemopoietic uh, stem cells, and they can become red blood cells, they can become white blood cells, they can become anything sort of in that blood family, but they are limited to that family. So this is when you've gotten to university, right? And you've you've chosen your degree, you've gone mm, science, arts, commerce, like you obviously chose science, right? Obviously. Because, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but you haven't chosen your major yet. So you're, you're limited to the field of science. You're not going to, you're not going to go be a lawyer. Sorry. Um... However, you could you could make an interesting choice and become a physicist, or you could make a good choice and become a neuroscientist. We'll see. Uh, Ouch. Shade has shade has been thrown. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, but you know, you, you you're a first year. You're just a jaffy. You're figuring it out. You don't really know what's what yet. You're a multipotent uh, stem cell. Then <laughs> you've got your unipotent 
stem cells, which are the stem cells that literally they only get one choice. They only have one job. They exist for one reason. So for an example of this is the skin cell. Um, so you're constantly sort of shedding. You lose. It's crazy. 40,000 skin cells per hour. It, in one month, you have wow. complete new skin. Isn't that wild? One month. That's crazy. Complete new skin. Uh, layer of skin. So deep, deep within our skin, um, we've got what are called epidermal stem cells. And they can differentiate and become skin cells. So they they are, you are going to be the Queen of England. I'm sorry. You were, you were <laughs> first born in the royal family. That is your destiny. That is your one job. You have one reason to live. There is no getting out of this because <laughs> it just is the way the world apparently works in some places still. Um and you're a you, <laughs> you're you're a unipotent stem cell. Um, so that is that is my analogy of the the different types <laughs> of uh, stem cells and where you sit on your sort of range of possibilities of what you can uh, become. But um, yeah. yeah, I think that's a really great analogy. Good work, Kate. I'm <laughs> I'm a stem cell. I I do research on stem cells myself, and I feel feel yes. like that was a really good explanation. Good. I was I was waiting for you to come in with the like. Actually, that's not quite right. <laughs> no, um, I didn't have to do that at all. <laughs> amazing. Well, because I guess the other thing that I didn't really mention is I sort of I was like, well, you've got your adult stem cells, which are multipotent, multipotent or unipotent, um, and then you've got your embryonic stem cells, which are pluripotent. Which you know, I should say, embryonic stem cells. Often, like, in science, when they're used in science, um, if you're using human ones, they're ones that have been donated by... When you do IVF, you get additional sort of fertilized eggs that don't get used. And so then with the consent of the donor, they get donated to science. And that's kind of where we get these embryonic stem cells. Um, But that's not the only way that science can get access to pluripotent stem cells because there's actually this whole sort of area that is, you know, relatively yeah, There's a lot of ethical concerns but... around embryonic stem cells as well. Yeah. So that's why there's um, something called induced pluripotent stem cells, which is like embryonic stem cells in the fact that these cells can become any type of cell in the body that they want, but it's where they take a regular, like, liver, fat, skin, or whatever, whatever cell, and scientists have, like figured out a way to change it to behave like an embryonic stem cell, um, which is really cool because, like, the future of that research, I think, is um, something that's quite exciting to think about. Like, because, you know, regenerative, I can say words. Regenerative. (laughs) That's the one. Um, You know, medicine where a lot of the issues, like, if you could use someone's own body cell and and help kind of regrow organs or whatever and it's you're not introducing anything foreign into the body because it's someone's own cell that you've been able to turn into a stem cell and then turn into whatever you need it to be um which i think is just really exciting um yeah you're completely right there okay uh like with these induced pluripotent stem cells they have the ability to uh, like bypass all the ethical concerns with embryonic stem cells mm. and mm. also like like you said uh they're cells from that person's uh own body so there's no risk mm. of your body rejecting those cells that you put in but yeah uh there, there is also like a slight caveat in that um if you have like an injury or a disease where 
uh, you're pressured by time, it can take a while to actually generate those mm. induced pluripotent stem cells uh, when you get like skin cells from the patient, for example. Yeah. 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 But nonetheless, it's still really, really great, uh, like step step up in the field of stem cell research. Yeah, I think it it highlights that the future of stem cell research is going to be there's going to be some cool stuff happening. Like, <laughs> uh, definitely. But you know, even even in the present of stem cell research, there is some cool stuff happening, and I think we will talk about that after our next song, which I think we're about ready for. Yeah, so can't wait to hear from Kevin about some of the exciting stem cell research. But before that, we've got Imagine by Ben Platt. Welcome back to Radio Silence, where we are bringing science into focus here on Radio Fodder. You just heard Imagine by Ben Platt, and now we're going to talk to Kevin about some of his research in stem cells. Kevin, tell yeah. us about yourself. Hello. Yeah, so uh, I'm a PhD student here at the University of Melbourne, working at the Flory Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health. Woo, represent! Yeah. <laughs> Don't mind me. In it's, a, it's a great place to do research there. So. <laughs> um, so the kind of research that I look at, uh, well, my lab is interested in Parkinson's disease. So Parkinson's disease, it's a terrible disease uh, that affects uh, older generation people, um, mm. but it's characterized by... Uh, movement disorder so people can have difficulty initiating a movement um, and also then when they're resting uh, you can see their hands are just like shaking a lot this resting tremor that you see in these Parkinson's mm. patients yeah. and one of the first things that cause this disease is the loss of a very specific uh, cell type in the brain it's mm -hmm. called dopamine cells so the cells mm. that produce dopamine and uh, what my lab looks at is how we can treat this disease using stem cell therapy. So we were talking about stem cells before, and Kate did a really good job at explaining what stem cells do before. Um, so with our stem cells, uh, we're able to drive them towards a, br a brain fate and turn them towards dopamine cells in a dish. And... Because these dopamine cells are the ones lost in Parkinson's disease, we can actually transplant and put the dopamine cells that we grow oh. back into the brain of the Parkinson's disease. Yeah. yeah so essentially, it helps to repair uh, the yeah, damage yeah, that's yeah. been done in the brain and also helps to uh, regrow so the brain circuitry that was lost in Parkinson's disease. Yeah, well, because I remember, like, you know, back in undergrad, one of the pracs that I did in, like, final year was essentially inactivating those dopamine cells in rats and seeing how that kind of, you know, had an effect in, like, Parkinson-like mm. ways and how you could, you know, create a, a, a rat model of Parkinson's disease and it, it was all to do with those dopamine cells. So the idea of... Yeah, just using stem cells to... Yeah, and that's the that's the model that we use in our lab as well. Yeah. So uh, we use the rat animal to help model Parkinson's disease, specifically mm -hmm. the motor symptoms that we see. Mm -hmm. So uh, they will have 
um, uh, difficulty in moving uh, one limb on one side mm. of their body. And we find that after we uh, transplant these stem cells that were turned into dopamine cells back into mm-hmm. the animal, the cells in- integrate into the brain and also help to uh, recover from that motor disability from the disease. Mm-hmm. What type of stem cells are you using? Like where, where are the stem cells that you got yes. to turn into dopamine cells sort of come from? So we use uh, embryonic stem cells that mm-hmm. we talked about earlier. The pluripotent um, ones. The, the pluripotent ones, ones exactly. That have been born into not quite high wealth, but uh, <laughs> still have a realm <laughs> of possibility ahead of them. Never yes. going to be Queen of England. <laughs> not quite there. But they're still very highly desirable in the field of mm. uh, But can research. become dopamine yeah. cells, so that's pretty exactly, dope, yeah. if you know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. Please cut that. No. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, em- those embryonic stem cells, and also we use the induced pluripotent stem cells that we talked about earlier as well. And oh, yeah. they're really good because they're uh, derived from... Uh, either healthy people or uh, patients with a disease. Um, and mm, so you on, use just on human, a side... Human ones yeah. rather than rat ones? We use human stem cells, yeah, yeah. because it's a lot more... Um, uh, it gives us a better indication of how they perform when we try mm-hmm. to move this into the human clinical trials. Yeah, that makes sense. That's really yeah. cool. So um, there are labs uh, around the world, so one in... Japan, uh, a, a couple in Sweden and New York, they, they've they started or will be starting later on this year mm-hmm. uh, clinical trials using this exact same stem cell oh, wow. therapy where they, grow, wow. yeah, where they grow dopamine cells and then yeah. put them into the brains of patients with Parkinson's disease. Oh, um, that's so exciting. Yeah. This, this has actually um, been tried like back in the 1980s as well, actually. Uh, But rather than using uh, embryonic stem cells, they were using fetal uh, stem cells. So cells from... uh, Yeah, okay. Cells from the fetal uh, developmental stage. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but they found that those fetal uh, stem cells they put into the patients... Uh, they weren't a pure population of dopamine cells. There were a lot of other uh, cell types in there, and mm. they actually caused some side yeah, effects in the issues. patients that were yeah that yeah. was found later on yeah a couple of years after those after those oh, old clinical really? trials. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that kind of like brings us to a perspective in the like in the modern day today, like are. Mm. Uh, are we really ready to start doing these clinical trials again using embryonic stem cells into mm. dopamine cells? Uh, the labs that have like started in Japan already and in Sweden and New York, are we really mm. ready to start yeah. doing clinical How trials do you again? Know that yeah. your stem cells are like purely dopamine cells. Like have you have we, you know, since the eighties, have we optimized that process of like forcing a cell to become a certain mm. thing? Have we gotten better yeah. at that or is... We've definitely gotten a lot more better at that. So the before you put the cells into the brain, uh, you grow them in the dish mm-hmm. and there have been a lot of uh, work around the world in other labs and also in my lab as well where we try to optimise and uh, generate 
a higher yield of these dopamine cells in the dish before、mm. we put them into the brain. But even if we can generate a yield of、uh, about eighty-five percent dopamine cells in the dish、mm. when we put them into the brain,、uh, we only actually get about five percent. Of the cells resulting in the final uh, uh, cell graft that we、yeah. put into the brain to be actual dopamine cells, so、mm-hmm. they're like ninety five percent of the other cells in the graft that aren't dopamine cells, and yeah, we don't、yeah. know what they are yet. We haven't fully characterized every、yeah. single cell type. We don't know what they are. We don't know what kind of effects they can have in the brain. Could be、yeah. could be good. Could also be bad, and like we've seen in those old clinical trials back in 1980s, they had some side effects in the patients where they、mm. actually made the symptoms of Parkinson's disease worse in those yeah, patients. Yeah, so it is something that's actually worth paying attention to as、yeah. a problem. Yeah, and another problem is that、uh, since we're working with these stem cells, you were saying that one of the key properties of these stem cells is the ability to self-renew.、Mm. They can just divide and divide and divide constantly、yeah. over again, and、yep. that's actually what cancer cells do. So yeah, eventually, there's、yeah. a chance of forming a tumor inside these patients if、True. you if don't、induced. purify your cells before you transplant them into the brain.、Yeah. Yeah, so that's、uh, one of the big projects that I was working on、uh, when I started my PhD, and、mm. I was working on this project with a previous PhD student who is now finished and has、mm-hmm. moved on to、uh, that lab in New York, who are about to embark、mm-hmm. on the clinical trials. Actually,、oh, wow, that's so、um, exciting! Yeah, but、uh, yeah, so this project we're looking at is how can we purify our Cells before we put them into the brain, and how can we、uh, prevent the risk of tumors being formed?、Mm-hmm. So,、um, we actually what we actually do is we we've engineered a gene and we've installed this gene into the stem cells,、mm-hmm. and this gene is a suicide switch or、oh. a kill switch. Yeah. So yeah, if the cells. I mean, not to get excited about、yeah. like. Death and stuff, but it, this this just sounds cool.、Uh, I feel like I'm getting excited about the wrong thing, but yeah, it but it's cool. <laughs> I think the better term for it is a kill switch, where、mm-hmm. if、uh, the cells that we put into the brain, if they end up turning rogue and we get the wrong cell types,、uh, well, if there are some、mm. of the wrong cell types, like、uh, un uncommitted stem cells. That end up dividing and dividing and dividing.、Mm-hmm. We can actually turn on this kill switch and kill off only those cells that are dividing. So the stem cells. Yeah, and, and that keep way, the、yeah. dopamine ones、exactly. alive. Yeah. Yeah. And、wow. if and the other thing、uh, that we found、uh, from this project was that if we activate this switch early enough,、uh, but not too early, so we. Uh, start activating this kill switch once we know all the dopamine cells are born.、Mm-hmm. After that, we turn on this kill switch and kill off everything else that is still dividing. So,、uh, this since this kill switch only kills、uh, cells that are dividing, all of、yeah. our dopamine cells that are born already and、yeah. not dividing, they're safe and won't、yeah. be harmed. But stem cells and Other cells that can still divide or grow into、mm-hmm. other cell types, 
the ones that we don't want, we mm-hmm. can actually kill them off using this kill switch. Yeah. Hence, uh, purifying the graft that we put into the brain and improving on the quality of our stem cell grafts in the brain. That's really cool. Does it affect the... What about cells that have already differentiated into something that isn't dopamine? Like, do you get random, like, you know, GABA cells popping up that you just... It's already, you know, not a stem cell anymore. Can you still kill it off with this? Yeah, so... Essentially, yes, we can we can reduce the number mm-hmm. of those unwanted cell types uh, that have already been uh, that have already uh, been born or are about to be born. So mm-hmm. we've found that uh, we've been able to reduce the number of um, non dopamine brain cells. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the GABA cells that you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, also uh, with um, other neuronal uh, brain cell types. We also found that we can reduce um, glial cells. So glial cells are the cells in the brain that help support brain mm-hmm. cells function. So astrocytes and uh, mm-hmm. oligodendrocytes. I was going to uh, say the oligodendrocyte is my yeah. <laughs> favorite uh, glial cell. Um, yeah. So although astrocytes and oligodendrocytes are glial cells that can help support brain cells, um, they're not the cell types that we want in our uh, mm. stem cell uh, therapy graft. Yeah. So, yeah, we can actually reduce the number of those cell populations and also uh, reduce cells that aren't of a uh, neural or brain fate. So, for example... Oh, yeah, because uh, I guess if you're yeah. working with pluripotent, do you end up with random, like, skin cells, liver cells, muscle cells? Like, I don't know, you know... Yeah, um, those kind of cells that we don't want. Yeah, exactly. We're able to purify our grafts and actually increase the yield of the dopamine cells that mm-hmm. we're interested in for this therapy. That's really cool. Um, yeah, and I'm... it's very, it's a very, very important step, um, improving on the safety and uh, purity of our stem cell grafts because safety is a massive thing that clinical oh, trials always definitely. look for before... Uh, they allow you to start proceeding with the trials. Yeah. Well, it's always, it's such a, you know, big, scary step taking something from preclinical to clinical, right? Because so mm. often, you know, we see so many treatments that have shown such promise preclinically and then you chuck mm-hmm. them in humans and it either like doesn't work or it's, you know, causes these additional side effects we didn't see coming. And, you know, safety is obviously you know, it's it's all good for something to be ineffective, but if something ends up being yeah. dangerous and having active harm on the people that you're testing it on, like, that is super important that you, you know, minimize yeah. chances of that happening before you send it into clinical trials. So, uh, yeah, no, this sounds exactly like very right important research. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and, yeah, we've uh, finished a massive part of this project and we've actually been able to successfully publish this into a scientific Mm -hmm. journal so this work is out there at the moment Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully other scientists can have a read of this and find it useful to look at yeah yeah Yeah. Um, look it up team (laughs) all sounds very cool and great to hear about some of the important research going on with stem cells Uh, thanks Kevin it was great to have you on the show yeah thank you very much for having me Yeah, and now we've got another song. This is Traitor by Olivia Rodrigo. You 
you are listening to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder. Today's show has been all about stem cells and we've got some more cool stem cell research coming at you. Kai, what have you got for us? So today we've already heard about how stem cells can differentiate into all different types of cells and how it's also possible to convert regular um, body cells back into stem cells. And this process was developed by Shinya Yamanaka, and he, that got him the Nobel Prize in 2012. Mm. And part of this process involves these proteins called Yamanaka factors. That, that's what, like, this particular protein is important for doing this process of, of converting uh, st- cells into stem cells. The induced pluripotent. Yeah, in, inducing that pluripotence. So yeah. these, these, um, these proteins are important in this process and they can be used for regeneration so we heard from kevin about how you can generate or develop stem cells and you know induce them to become stem cells in a in a dish and then put them inside people's brains and then they can become the cells that we want to to fix things like parkinson's disease and yeah kevin also you mentioned that sometimes if you're not careful this can actually cause tumors because cells just go on dividing without stopping and and that's that's what a tumor is. Yep, that's so, right. Yeah, so it's it's really important when you're do, trying to use stem cells for something like this that you don't create tumors. Mm. And there mm-hmm. there's one technique that scientists have been looking at that that kind of hits that balance. And it involves only partially reprogramming the this the cells into stem cells. So you're using the same proteins that you would use to induce a regular cell turning back into a stem cell, but you're doing it without creating the stem cells that could then turn into tumors. And there are some scientists in the US who have been doing this to regenerate muscle tissue. Mm. Now, the like there's lots of different research around the world generate like trying to regenerate different tissues using stem cells, but this muscle regeneration is using this process where they're just using these proteins that convert cells back into stem cells. And they can do this inside the muscle at the time. So they've been, they've been testing this in young rats. And the reason that they, they want to use young rats is because like, part of the aging process has to do with your, like, all your stem cells running out, basically. <laughs> like, you get to a point where your, your body, it's harder to make new cells because you're sort of mm. running out of stem cells and... That's like a lot of aging effects are caused by this. And there's research into like anti-aging using stem cells. So the researchers wanted to like separate that from like what they're actually doing. So that to use young rats. Yeah. But so with the, in the muscle cells or in your like muscles as a whole, there's what's called a niche where it's, it's like a layer where the stem cells basically live ready to be called upon to regenerate muscle cells. So... The, the researchers were thinking, okay, maybe if we inject like these proteins into the niche, we'll be able to like stimulate muscle growth and like regenerate the muscles. But what they actually found was that this didn't work. And actually, what to get the desired effect, they were to introduce these proteins into a different part of them, like into the actual muscle itself, not in the mm. bit where the stem cells lived. Mm. And they were going, oh, this is a little bit interesting. And they found out that this was actually a way of activating the stem cells sort of indirectly rather than stimulating them like directly. You wanted to activate the muscle cells. So they were 
a little bit confused as to why this was the case. But then they did a little bit more research and they found that there was another specific protein that is like sort of existing as an off switch. It's at, While this protein is present, the stem cells are not going to be activated and they're not going to like turn into muscle cells. Mm-hmm. So what they did by introducing the like Yamanaka proteins into the muscles directly, it actually reduced this other protein, which then meant that the, the stem cells could then become activated and then differentiate into muscle cells. Right, yeah. So they, they found this new protein or like determined the function of this new protein that they didn't really understand much about before. And they're like by doing this, they're looking at now trying to find new drugs that can actually like modify the like either they switch on this protein by like binding to it and like then they switch it off, which allows the stem cells to be activated, mm-hmm. or they could look at drugs that actually target the stem cell, like the receptors mm-hmm. that are like looking, you know, sensing this protein and whether it's present. So they're looking at actually developing drugs now, not so they're not necessarily using the stem cells directly to actually like not like what Kevin's talking about, introducing stem cells as new cells, mm-hmm. but using drugs to target proteins that can then encourage the stem cells you already have yeah. to become more active. The pre-existing, like, already hanging out in your body stem cells. Yeah, and these, I'm, like, I think these stem cells that are in the muscles, like, they're probably specific for muscle. Mm, like, they're not... Your multipotent mm. stem multipotent, cells. Multipotent, yeah. <laughs> you know, you've just started at university, you've picked your science degree, <laughs> but you haven't chosen your major. Yeah, so they, they have a, a fairly specific job to do in that they'll do something related to muscles yeah. but they're, they're not they're not you know muscle cells exactly just yeah. yet no they're still stem cells they still meet that criteria yeah yeah so like it's really interesting that like the way that this sort of research is potentially going to be able to develop drugs that can enhance muscle development or regeneration so that could be really useful for people that have suffered injuries or you know trauma to their muscles and they could potentially be using these drugs that would stimulate their stem cells to grow, Mm. you know, or regenerate the muscle tissue that's already there. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, yeah, really fascinating and another great example of cool things with stem cells. Oh, so interesting and so exciting. It's been a fascinating episode learning all about stem cells. And thank you again, Kevin, for jumping on board. Um, That is our last episode for the semester, folks, the last show. I hope you guys have a good holiday. Remember, you can always follow us on SoundCloud or Twitter, catch your past episodes that you that you missed and this is our final song very relevant we've got muscle museum by muse